You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from House for All Sinners and Saints. We are an Evangelical Lutheran Church in America congregation in Denver, Colorado, and you can find out more about us at www.houseforall.org. Know that grace, peace, hope, and mercy are yours from the triune God. Amen. So my third year of college, I was living with my two friends, Garrett and Mark, and we were way cool and had this totally awesome off-campus apartment in which a number of other college students lived. In fact, five out of the six apartments on our side of the building were inhabited by college students. The one apartment that wasn't was directly below ours. (laughs) In it lived a family of four with a baby. Needless to say, their lives were seriously affected by our coming and going, and especially by our predilection for imbibing libations at all hours of the night with a handful of our friends. That's a nice way of saying we threw parties. More than one time, the police were called, and we were asked to keep it down. Being the uh, knucklehead college students we were, though, we took offense to these calls and laid the blame on the family below us for our dealings with the law. And so we took advantage of every opportunity we could to seek our revenge on the family downstairs. And I'm not proud of the way in which we tormented them. I'm not proud of my actions, and most of them are indefensible. All I can say is I'm thankful that no one was ever hurt by what we did. Revenge and retribution and getting even, it occurs to me, seem to be something ingrained in our DNA. I don't know about you, but when I get cut off by somebody driving down the road, all I want to do is get around them, cut them off, to get even, and with the added bonus of probably giving them the finger. (laughs) Popular fiction and TV shows and movies dramatize this quest for vengeance and invite us to root for the avenger. We desire for the scales of justice to be leveled. We think that if only the wrong that we or someone else has suffered can be righted, that all will be well in the world. But the evidence supporting this theory of justice in our world is sadly all but non-existent. Rather than a leveling of the scales, more often than not, seeking revenge creates a cycle of ever-escalating violence that leads to pain and grief and anguish. I'm not just talking in terms of conflicts, say, in the Middle East, but also the conflicts and tensions that exist in our own communities, and in our own lives. How many of us tonight sitting right here are bearing a grudge? How many of us dream about the revenge we'd like to take on someone who has harmed us? How many of us have fantasized about that revenge? How many of us, though, are being held back and imprisoned by this need and want for our own kind of justice? It would be easy for me to stand up here and give a lecture about our need to forgive. 
I could use the power of my office and this collar to guilt you into thinking things and believing things about forgiveness and give you the standard lines about how it's only in forgiving that we can be forgiven ourselves. But the truth of the matter is I can't do that because I suck at forgiving. It's hard for me to let go of the pain that others have caused me. I still bear grudges, and if I'm honest, I'd still like for some sort of horrible thing to befall those who have caused me pain of some type or another. I'd like to tell Paul to either bite me or go somewhere not nice when I hear him quoting Deuteronomy and Proverbs about vengeance being God's and God's alone. I'd really like for Paul to take a walk in my shoes and experience the pains that I've endured when he tells the Roman church to, quote, love one another with mutual affection, to outdo one another in showing honor, and to bless those who persecute you, to bless them and not curse them, to rejoice with those who rejoice, to weep with those who weep, and to live with harmony, live in harmony with one another. Gag. Because, you see, certainly my problems and the pains I've experienced are far more important than anyone else's. My own expectations and my own sense of truth and justice far outweigh anyone else's. Am I right? This week, as I was making excuses for not forgiving others, my mind turned to our reading from Matthew today. In the blink of an eye, Peter got a lesson in having your expectations shattered in the light of God's hope and mercy. Not too long after connecting the dots of Jesus' teaching and his life and making his bold declaration that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, the one who would save the world, we find Peter pulling Jesus aside to give him a talking to about how this is going to take place. Peter's own expectations and desires make him unable to hear the promise that even though Jesus is heading to Jerusalem where he will suffer and ultimately die, that he will be raised. Peter's own vision of what salvation is to look like limits the scope of possibility of what God's dream actually is. Peter's vision is too small, it would seem, for the power of what God's grace can do. It remains that small throughout the rest of Jesus' life and arguably doesn't expand until the Holy Spirit shows up at Pentecost. And so for Peter and for us, the cure for a small two vision becomes a pretty hard pill to swallow. Because the cure for that too small vision is to let go of our own expectations. It's to let go of our own needs and desires and wants and see that God's justice and mercy are wrapped up in one another on the cross. It's there and only there that we can make any sense of the needlessness of human pain and suffering, ours and the world's. It's there and only there that we can see the futility in holding grudges or seeking revenge. It's at the cross that we discover we cannot save ourselves, and so we are asked to pick up our own crosses and to live a cruciform life, 
One that enters into human suffering. One that seeks reconciliation. One that hopes for the day of God's justice to reign. And now picking up one's cross isn't the simple matter of dealing with a difficult person or situation and announcing proudly, that's my cross to bear. If it were, I'd be boasting today of, you know, maybe the five or six crosses I have to bear in this very room. You know who you are. But that sort of mentality seems to cheapen this very serious invitation to let go of our own expectations and ideas of who God is and how God acts. The cruciform life is not an easy one. It's full of self-sacrifice and it's full of caring for others. And yes, even though I hate to admit it, it's full of forgiveness and letting go of our desire to get even. It's a life that we are all invited into. And the good thing is we don't have to do all that hard stuff alone. The cruciform life of Jesus is a celebratory life lived with others in a ragtag community. It's a life where we are given the grace to make mistakes and held up in our struggles. It's a place like house where those of us who struggle with forgiveness can learn lessons from the least likely of our housemates about what it means to love one another with mutual affection and to live in harmony with one another. Thanks be to God for this calling and these people who help us to lose our lives and to carry our crosses. Amen. sermons are meaningful for you, we invite you to support the congregation, and you can do that at houseforall.org. There's a PayPal button there. Also, we'd love for you to come and join us for liturgy. We meet at 4 o'clock and 6 o'clock on Sundays at 2201 Dexter in Denver.